welcome to a Grad Chat, your opportunity to find out about graduate research here at Queen's. My name is CJ the DJ and I am your host for this week's Grad Chat. Of course, a show like this could not happen without the support of the School of Graduate Studies and Postdoctoral Affairs as well as CFRC. So thank you very much to both of them. Now, if your mates miss the show at any time, you can download the podcast the next day on either iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify or CFRC Podcast. So no excuse not to hear what our awesome students and postdoctoral fellows are doing. Today, though, I would like to introduce you to Graciela Bedenik, who is doing a PhD in Mechanical and Materials Engineering under the supervision of Drs. Matthew Robertson and Melissa Grief. Welcome to Grad Chat, Graciela. Hi, CJ. Hi, listeners. Thank you for having me. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Most people don't say thank you to the listeners, so I'm really, I'm really glad you did that. That was okay. lovely. Um, so... First of all, it's well, it's fantastic to have you on the show, Graciela. And I, you know, as I've mentioned plenty of times, I love it when students have only just started their graduate journey with us and are keen to come on the show. So, you know, you sent me some lovely information, including your CV, which was, I've got to say, pretty awesome. <laughs> With the amount of research you've done, the various papers that you've written and been a part of, and all the different talks and things that you've been doing. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Because as you know, you know, you come from Brazil, you yes. are an international student, which is not easy coming one to another country, sure. let alone one with a different language, you know, not being your first language. So why did you want to come here? And, you know, why this interest in continuing on in higher education? Okay, so first things first, my CV, I think, is reflecting the hard work I've been putting into yes, research. Yes, and clearly. The second half of my first year of uh, undergrad, it was when I decided I really liked academia. Right. I loved being an undergrad, and in Brazil you have... Uh, lots of opportunities for doing research mm -hmm. while in undergrad. And I really feel I've uh, held onto all of these opportunities. Fantastic. Yeah. So I've been doing this and I guess all my decisions have been taken through this, achieving this goal, to achieve this goal. Right. So I, I think that's the first thing. My advisors, my supervisors in Brazil were very helpful very thoughtful. I, I feel like I owe them everything. Um, and it was through them that I met a professor here at Queens who is a Brazilian also, Professor Professor Sidney Givigi. He's at the with the School of Computing. Yes. He's Brazilian. And he went to Brazil to the university, the Federal University of Sergipe, where I did my undergrad. And he was just talking to students and he mentioned he was a professor in Canada. And I just started talking to him. It seemed a nice country. Cold. <laughs> yeah, cold. But I, I've been dealing very well with the cold. That's good. Yeah, better than I thought. <laughs> so he was mentioning uh, research opportunities, how Queens especially has a lot of resources mm -hmm. for students, uh, especially hard work students that are really uh, wanting to go into academia and to continue their studies. I didn't have a PhD program in um, my school in Brazil. Ah, I so see. I did undergrad and master's. Right. I would have to leave anyway for a PhD. So I had the network, 
My husband, now husband, then uh, boyfriend, was already here in Canada doing his PhD okay. with Professor GVG. And so I went, I came to Canada first in 2022 for a conference right. uh, at Ottawa. Um, and I met several professors there. And then I came to Queens to visit. And that's when I met my current supervisor, Professor uh, Matthew Robertson. And he mentioned this super cool project, very interdisciplinary fields together right. mm -hmm. to achieve something which I think uh, is really cool. We are going to talk about it we will. today. But the main thing here that motivates me and why I really like the project is information. So I hope we talk about this a little bit. We can. I'm with the mechanical and materials engineering department right now, but I'm actually an electronics engineer. Okay. And I have a master's in electrical engineer. Right. So this is kind of new field for me. But like you said, it's cross-disciplinary. Yes, yes. And and I think that's the beauty these days. There is so much more research that crosses uh, crosses across field, yes. fields. And I, and I think that's really, really important. Because with your background in electrical engineering, computer engineering... That can be very helpful for yes. those in the mechanical and materials. Uh, yes, that's something we've been discussing in our meetings at the Nerd Lab. Uh, it's Professor Roberts. What's it called? Group. Nerd Lab. Nerd Lab. Oh, okay. Yes, <laughs> Novel Engineering and Robotics Devices ah, Research Group. Okay. So a cool name for a cool group, and we've been discussing <laughs> it in the last few meetings. How it's important to have people from different backgrounds mm -hmm. in the same research group, even though it, it's at MME. But we are gathering people from different fields. That's terrific. And I'm glad you've had that opportunity. Yes. We're, we're clearly very lucky to have you. For sure. Thank goodness your university back in Brazil didn't <laughs> do, have PhD programs. <laughs> <laughs> we might not have got you. So I think we're very, very, very lucky there. So, And how has your transition been here? Because you haven't been here this long. Yeah, I arrived uh, in the end of October last year. Mm -hmm. um, I was... Mostly trying to acclimate to the cold <laughs> and to the language. And it wasn't too bad then. <laughs> yes, yes. But since I got the right jacket and the yes. right boots, it's been all right. That's exactly what I had to learn quickly too. Yeah, some people have been telling me there's no bad weather, there's only bad clothes. Uh, yeah, that's, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, yeah and, and I've learned that. <laughs> the, the clothes are really helpful, the right clothes. Uh, so the, the weather is not the worst thing. The most unexpected uh, is the language. Right. I've been studying English for a few years now, so I wasn't expecting it to be so tiring to have to, have to, to listen think all the time. and listen and talk mm. to people in another language all day long, especially classes. I don't hear very well. I have this cognitive thing. Right. So I really need to focus on classes and I like to sit closer to the professor so I can hear very well. Yeah, so that's the, the most tiring, tiring thing. I can imagine that. And I think we forget that at times when we're so used to speaking in our own languages that someone who is speaking a language as a second language, that's got to be tiring. Because yes. I don't know about you, if the few times I've learned how to do a, a second language, I'm constantly reverting back to what is it in English and then having to re it back to so how would I answer that in English so what is that yes. now in this other language and it, it 
just blows your brain a little bit, doesn't it? <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> Especially new vocabulary, a very technical vocabulary. Um, sometimes yes. I already know the words because of papers or past research. Sometimes I don't, especially right. in a new field. Yes. So, uh, so it's interesting that you said that because here you are in the field and still having to learn the yes. terminology that is being used. And yet you're speaking here to an audience who would probably know none of that terminology. So again, you've got to say, well, I know the terminology now, but I know what it's like for me. I didn't understand yes. it. So how can I expect a general audience to understand that? That's true. Which is a, a great learning experience as you go along. Well, I think we better get on to what you're actually doing. And, and, and again, we do need to reiterate, you know, Graciela is only just started. Yes. So there's a lot of things that she's looking at, um, maybe not have fine-tuned it as much as she would like to, but, of course, that that would come as you're going through with we your lab. So. Yes, exactly. And, of course, being a part of a lab too, there's certain things you need to do as part of the lab um, as opposed to your own individual part of it. Yeah. So the research topic is the development and application of autonomous multi-agent underwater robot swarms for environmental monitoring and response in Canadian freshwater lakes. That, yes, thank you. That was a bit long. I had to take, take my time reading that, didn't I? So there's a lot of things there. And some of the things for me that sort of pull out straight away is the second part and you're working on something for the environmental monitoring and response of what's going on in Canadian freshwater lakes. So I think that's the easy part to understand. The harder part, of course, would be the development and application of what you're calling autonomous multi-agent underwater robot swarms, which sounds fascinating, which I'm sure we're going to hear a little bit about. So can you give us a bit of an overview in, you know, in general what are you actually looking at here? Okay, so there's some steps of the motivation. <laughs> yeah. And uh, the first thing, I guess, is the, the main thing we were looking at since last year when I started talking with my supervisors is that Canada is a large oil producer. Right, yes. So almost $500 billion. That's a uh, lot, isn't it? In 2021, that's the last stats right. I have. So that's a lot of money, a big industry with lots of people involved and institutions. Mm -hmm. And one thing that's kind of infuriating is that when you have an oil spill in, for example, lakes. Yes. uh, Canada has lots of them. Yes, they do. We're very lucky with all this fresh water. (laughs) Yes. So uh, it's kind of infuriating that if you can't see the oil on the river surface or the lake surface, then it practically doesn't exist to government or responsible ah, institutions. Okay, so this, if you this don't belief, it, you've got to see it yes. to have action. Yes, and one thing uh, is that Canada produces uh, not only, uh, let's say, usual oil, it also produces something called bitumen. It's ah, a, yes, the bitumen, yeah. Yes, so a, a denser pro- subproduct. And for them to transport this bitumen through pipelines in the bottom of lakes mainly, they need to make it more less viscous. Right. So it is good because you can transport it, but also it makes it easier to 
escapes the pipelines, so you have spills. Uh, At the time of the spill, maybe you can have some bitumen on the surface as well. Right. But with time, it sinks. Just sinks, so you don't see it. And you don't see see it anymore, especially if you have uh, deep lakes, where it's low luminosity, you won't really be surveying and trying to find the oil because you are not seeing it. Yeah. And it's not always that you have someone looking at a lake near a pipeline. Oh, right. there's a spill. I see the oil in the surface. Let's do something. So this information of when a spill happened, where is the source, and where in the lake we could find the matter, the, the organic matter, the material, the bitumen, the oil, is really powerful information mm-hmm. because for the past few years, there's research showing that this oil has been intoxicating aquatic species. It's not surprising. And that could uh, come to humans as well because right. we are consuming mm-hmm. uh, the animals and the plants and that goes into the water supply. So it's a very interdisciplinary and very big issue in yes because you probably areas. have biologists and environmentalists yes. as yes. well as you in, in mechanical material engineering civil engineers with the the pipes themselves of exactly. how to make them safer lots of people involved mm-hmm. so there there's a need for a holistic approach that actually works and right now it doesn't happen at every lake but in some locations what they do is they have a specialized crew so people that Um, They go into the lake and they have special equipment, special sensors, and from time to time they go and inspect the pipelines. As you can imagine, that's very expensive and also dangerous because you're putting people close to the organic matter that could be intoxicated. Right, right. So one thing, uh, and that's the idea for the autonomous robots, is that we could have, we uh, may have, Small robots, like little fish. So this is why you're talking about swarms. Yes. It's a little so bee it, swarm, but the little robot Exactly swarms. like in nature, swarms mm-hmm. a collective of individuals. Right. But we, we would have a collective of robots, small robots, and they would be self-deployed into the lake and map and try to find if there are spills, where there are, they are, mm-hmm. and at what uh, deepness of yep. the lake. Depth. Depth mm-hmm. of the lake, it there is material, and then produce some kind of alarm or notification. So then we would only use a specialized crew or specialized equipment when there is a real need for right. that. Right, which would save costs all around. But it's interesting that you, I mean, when you were talking about these groups that go and find the spills, my first thing was, well, surely that's the people who are, you know getting the oil in the first place it should be their responsibility yeah. of part of them getting their their contract that they have to check it all the time not just when we see a spill yes which is which is tricky i know because they could say oh yeah we're checking everything's fine which is kind of interesting actually for um funding philosophically and, yeah, yeah. E- even for funding for research and universities mm-hmm. and institutions that are trying to come up with approaches for solving this because these companies, these institutions are the root of the, pro- the problem, but because they are responsible for it, they should be funding the initiatives. Well, absolutely. So that's, yeah. that's something uh, exciting, I because would they, say. Because they're going to benefit from it 
Yes. I mean, we're all going to benefit from sure. it. Sure. But they're absolutely going to benefit from saying, well, we are because we're using this. There's always some political and financial <laughs> reason for stuff. We can stuff never get away happen. with it yes. can, from it, can we? But, but it's interesting too because we clearly, as you, I think one of the big things that you said there is that the problem with some of these spills, we're not seeing them. Yes. Therefore, we're not acting on it. Exactly. So these little robot swarms are going to do the hopefully do the it's job easier. so so let's get on a little bit more and and ask you about a bit more about these robot swarms okay. because we know what you're trying to do yes. use these electronics devices to find out where the spills are collect data not just find out where there's a spill if there's something a problem i guess also with the pipe yes and how it's affecting is are they going to con- collect more data than just saying here's the spot are they going to collect data to or is that the biologist of it's affecting these fish or this plant life in the water etc etc the interesting about the approach of uh, a swarm of small robots they're kind of individual but they act in a collective Mm -hmm. approach is that We've got the Borg. <laughs> There's a, they serve as a platform. Right. So you have these robots, hopefully, we have these mm-hmm. robots that can uh, move underwater mm-hmm. and they can talk to each other underwater and uh, probably to a central right. device mm-hmm. that uh, processes all the information. But depending on the application, because as I mentioned, oil is our initial idea, initial motivation, because there is... Lots of funding opportunities and a very huge environmental concern there. Right. But it could be an- anything that concerns underwater environments. Micro- microplastics yes. are huge right now yes. or some other kind of pollution. So the, the swarm s- would serve as a platform mm-hmm. for all these applications. And then what would be the most powerful thing? Of course, there's lots of challenges to get to a swarm that actually that works can... underwater. Um, but the, the powerful thing is the da- data, what, what you're yes. talking about. So if we have a set of sensors uh, of a, a possibility to fuse all of this information, then, of course, we need the other researchers from other fields to analyze this data. Yes. <laughs> I couldn't analyze com- chemical compounds, for example. Right. But th- the information needs to be there. Mm-hmm. And it's super important that the information is acquired correctly. Because then, even if we have, if we have the most powerful computer at the center, the processing central, it, it doesn't make sense mm-hmm. if the information is is wrong, yeah. right? Yeah, no, you want to. Yeah, data has to be honest. Yes, and so the thing about having lots of little robots that work in a swarm, is, and the autonomous part, so they can self-deploy themselves, is that we can get a greater range in the lake. Of course, closer to the pipeline is the first place they right. would look. Right, yes. For spills or microplastics, if it's another kind of application. But the idea is that they can spread throughout the lake depth. Right. And then we, we hopefully would have a 3D mapping of so, the lake. So you're not, you wouldn't be just looking at what's happening on the lake bed. Yes. You're looking 
in into the water itself as well. Yes, so the column of water. Yes, so you're doing that whole sweep, so to speak. Yes. The water floor bed, or whatever it is called, the bottom of the water. Yes, <laughs> And then exactly. going up as well. Because, as you said, it take, sometimes it might take a while for that bitumen yes. to drop to the bottom. Exactly. So just doing the bottom is not enough. Just doing the top is not enough because yes. you could miss bits in between. Yes, and also, if we're not talking about oil, but... It, for example, the microplastics, mm -hmm. they mostly float. Right, so then yes. you would prefer your robots to be closer to the surface. Right. So depending yes. on the application, we need the platform to have certain features that could be adapted to what we are trying to do. So you're looking at different modeling yes. things, aren't you? Which, as you said, whatever you can come up with this can hopefully be adapted for other Yes, I think that's the beauty of the proposal of the system. Yes. Um, because it's it's very powerful when you can have a platform that works across different applications mm -hmm. to get you the information you need. Yes. Uh, so, so as an electronics engineer, I'm very because interested. Because if you don't put the right question in, they're not exactly, going to exactly. be able to yeah. answer it, are they? Yes. And it, it's very challenging because if we're looking at the floor bed of the lake floor bed thank you <laughs> then there is uh, no luminosity probably so right yes the small robots that will be closer to the bottom will probably need a different uh, skill set let's say of sensing uh, than the ones closer to the surface where there is luminosity uh. and they will be closer to the central um, so they need to be a collective of similar robots, similar right. individuals, but they need to know how to work in a collective in, in challenging environments. So, so why the why the collective? Couldn't you just make a robot that's going to be able to sense everything? We could have like a very big, very expensive submarine that could work in some lakes if they are right. deep enough, but that's way more expensive. Right. Harder to control in a sense because you will probably need some features and you won't get a very large range. Right, right, right. Your time to deploy will be greater. Mm -hmm. um, with the swarm approach, you have small units that are way cheaper to produce, way faster to build. You could get a greater range in the lake. Right. So it's, it, it's more efficient. So it's, and it's almost like you don't want to overload one yeah. robot. Yes, so if you give true. each one of them a different function or a few functions only, the data collection might be better. Perfectly. Is that what you're trying to? Yes. Well, absolutely. I think that's brilliant. That's yeah. It's it's super fun to think about it. While you were talking, I just kept thinking about the swimming pool sweepers that go at creepy crawlies that grow along the bottom and do their thing and they just figure out where they've got to go or those little eye robots with the yes. the vacuuming up the dust and stuff mm -hmm. there's clearly a little chip in there to say oh you've hit something go <laughs> yeah. back da, 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 da. it's a similar sort of process i guess but with a lot more minute detail and yeah. fine tuning it's good that you mentioned good uses of small robots because i guess media portrays Small collective, uh, collective of small robots are always, it's always evil. I, I don't know. <laughs> but when you see those drones overhead in, in uh, you know, making big pictures and they've got lots of little ones and they're going around and absolutely fascinating and think, yeah, but it's 
it's also quite scary. It's a little all scary, these little, right? All these little flying That's things true. coming for us. That's true. So it, it kind of cool to think about applications where you have all these little robots and all this information being gathered, but it's being used for a good purpose. Which is why we're here today, to <laughs> yeah. find out how we can do it. So we talked about some... The main application you're looking for right now is collecting data, whether there's, you know, been bitumen spills in the lakes and how it's affecting the lakes, yeah. the, the health of the lake, which includes both the water and the plants and the fish and the animals and maybe us who yeah. eat the fish or, and the plants, etc. And we mentioned a couple of very basic domestic examples of something very basic in terms of like the the eye robot or the swarm thing that goes along creepy crawly it goes along the swimming pool can you see other sorts of models that could be used or practicalities that we could use this kind of system i know you still haven't tested it so i mean is it is it just for like the fisheries and things or could other groups use something because it it sounds like the main thing is what sensor do you put in each of these robots and how it gets programmed for the information part for sure how do you acquire this information so Mm -hmm. which sensor which tech uh, techniques methods you're using to gather this information fuse it together um so that's one thing. That's the the scalability and adaptability of right. the platform. Yes. Other challenges would be communication because it's an underwater environment. Mm, so right. I, I guess the listeners are probably more familiar with things like Wi-Fi and Bluetooth. Yes. That doesn't work underwater. Okay. So you need to find, find out. something different. Yes. Um, maybe radio, maybe acoustic waves which is a little bit more complex, I guess. (laughs) So maybe I can ask you this question, though, because we've been talking about these robot swarms and what we're wanting it to do. In terms of your own research, what part are you playing in that? Are you building the robot to make sure it can work in water? Are you building the or looking at the sensors that potentially are needed? Are you looking at the just the model of it that can be adapted by the people who know how to build stuff that works underwater. <laughs> and what what part are you playing and would you be playing in this project? It's definitely a very multifaceted right? challenge. As you said right now, I could pick each, <laughs> uh, any one of those and it would be very challenging and right. earn a PhD on their well, own. you've got four years. No. <laughs> so I'll, 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 probably, I'll probably won't be able to tackle all of these issues. No. Uh, because of my background as electronics engineering, I'm mostly interested on the information part. So that's what... As in the data collecting? It's, it's more than that, but it starts with the data collection. So right. you need to acquire this information and you need to make sure... That's the right information. So that on its own is already something big. Right. Uh, and after that, you need to condition this information so your processing system can use it. Right. So the sensors, sometimes they will give you information that is ready to use. Sometimes they won't. Uh, so you need something else with you it. You need to, to, to unjumble it. Kind yes. Of mm-hmm. So that's what we call conditioning. Right. And then, of course, there's processing, which is a huge part because uh, we have 
all of this information coming from all different robots, uh, all different individuals, mm-hmm. and their this information is being sent from one place to another. So we need to analyze that, and then we need to actuate, so act okay. w- on this information and right. make something, make the system take some kind of decision. This is usually the block diagram, the steps right. I usually work with in my past research. It's uh, what I'm expecting to work right now. But of course, we need a platform ready mm-hmm. to test this. So there's 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 gonna be some building involved, um, right? Because we need some kind of robot to test it. We need to this have a, fun. a module <laughs> to test it. Uh, so this is, I guess, the first challenge mm-hmm. the, to uh, re- research about how to have a modular, modular individual that can go underwater and actually move underwater and right. work. Right. Um, and then there is the control issue. How am I going to make this individual move underwater right. and accept my commands? Yes. And of course, they need to move on their own, but also taking into account the collective. The surroundings. The others. And the collective as well. Yeah. So there is a control issue, a control problem. Uh, Instrumentation, that's what I call the the steps I just told you, uh, instrumentation part. Mm -hmm. Of course, communication. That's something I'm not so excited to work on. <laughs> um, you always have to have one of those parts, right? Uh, because oh, that, that will like, be hard. Can we get rid of that quickly? Because I really, yeah. oh, you leave it right to the end because you don't want to yes. deal with it. Th- there's this issue as well. Um, and I, I'm, most, I'm always most excited to work on the instrumentation. But there's lots of new problems I'll have to uh, work on to get to that part right now. It's a big project. Yes. <laughs> and hopefully you're not doing this all by yourself. I mean, like you I said, so. yeah, it's interdisciplinary. Yes. So you will be getting, I would imagine, some assistance from other parts. Yes. We have some other research, Queen's researchers at the QE3 lab. Right, uh, yes. Experimental Ecology and Ecotoxology. Uh, lab here at Queens, uh, they have those made-up lakes in lake environments. We can test our robots. Awesome! It's really interesting work to be able to actually simulate in a more real um, right. setting what we are going going to do, and also to receive some insights because mm-hmm. I'm not a biologist. I don't work with chemistry, and they do. So that's good to have people that really know what they're doing together yeah, with Particularly us. with the interpretation of the data, of right? Because if they're, if the sensors are picking up certain things and, like you said, for you it might be gobbledygook. Yeah. But for a biologist oh, or a chemist, oh, no, that's da-da-da-da-da, and this for means... Sure. So that's really important to get their feedback. Is exactly. it collecting data that they can use? And this is something I'm, I, I'm really fond of. Right. I remember my interview my, for mm-hmm. the PhD... Uh, spot uh, my professor professor robertson asked me oh what's your ideal project to work mm-hmm. on what would you really like to work on and i remember my answer was oh i would love to work with something that has lots of different fields involved because i i think people from different fields have so unique point of views absolutely and you never think about it that way and then someone comes and you're like 
How have I never thought of that? It's because you've got one track that you're looking at and you need those other perspectives of you. Exactly. See, talking to people like me, that's where you get those perspectives. Because they come up with those things. Well, have you thought about this? Actually, no, I haven't. But now you've mentioned it, we could potentially put that in. So that's that's really exciting. Queens is a very good place. That's um, good. To do that, to have this environment. Well, I'm just going to get off your research right now because... I want to ask you, I mean, you, you've only just started here. Yes. But you're also already working with as a wise mentor in the Wise Mentorship yes. Program, which is uh, women in STEM, is that what it is? In science and engineering. So, uh, women in science and en- engineering. What made you want to do that? I mean, you've been here since October. Yes. Most people wait until they're right at the end before oh, becoming a mentor. I finished my master's in September and then I moved to Canada in the end of October. <laughs> and I, Have you had a holiday? <laughs> I was already so eager to be part mm-hmm. of, of the community, Queen's community, Kingston community. That's great. I feel really honored to have people along my um, career and tra- life uh, journey that helped me, helped right. me. Right, so you're giving back. I really mm-hmm. feel like I need to give back. Uh, it makes me feel good to do good. that. Good. Uh, so back in Brazil, I was one of the founders of an initiative called Girls of the Electrical Engineering Department. Right. I was the only girl in my undergrad class, and it took it took it's a five year degree back in Brazil. Engineering is five years, and I was the only girl in my class for most of my courses. Right. And it took me a while to uh, understand that. This isn't right. It shouldn't be right. Yes, there's a bit of disparity there, wasn't there? <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, like 10% only of the students were women. Right. In electronics and electrical engineering. For civil engineering, it's a bit more. For mechanical, it's similar. Uh, and here at Queen's, I notice it's kind of the same. I would expect more women because, well, it's a first world country, super engaged in social issues. Not really. So when I received the email from WISE, uh, I subscribed to the, their newsletter. Right. Telling us that they were in need of mentors. I was like, oh, I've been, I've done something similar before. I really like to contribute. I suffered a lot throughout undergrad because of. You've been there, done that, you know. Exactly, been there, done that. So I I feel like I could contribute to the the girls, I could say something useful. Not specifically about how to navigate Canadian undergrad, but more in a big picture way. And I think that's important. We've got to have that big picture too. But yeah. we need people who have been who have been in a similar situation. And you're you're going to be perfect for it, aren't you? Yeah. Whoever you get to mentor, you're going they're going to be very lucky. Yeah, we started in the fall mm-hmm. last year, uh, and it, the program goes into April. So two right. semesters. I have two mentees. Lovely. One in electrical engineering, one in mechatronics engineering. I think it's really interesting to see what they have to tell me right. and what I have to tell them as well. Brilliant. Uh, Learning from each other. Yeah, yes. exactly. Um, and it's 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 been a nice experience. That's great. Well, I take my hat off to you. Oh, First thank of you. all, moving country, changing discipline, even though it's cross-disciplinary yes. project that you're working on. Making sure you understand or having to speak in English more, which is tiring in itself. Even for English-speaking people, it can be tiring. (laughs) 
And then taking on, you know, this mentor role already, which is a lovely way of you giving back, as you said, for people who helped you along the way. And, you know, I, I wish more students would think in those terms. Um, and, and that's lovely to hear. So well done. Yay. I'm, I'm also receiving good stuff from the experience. Well, that, that's good. I mean, it has to be a two-way yes. thing, right? So we're really happy with that. So I, I hope... You'll come back on the show oh, when, later, when, I have more when stuff. you've got more stuff yes, to say. Sure. You know how how is it moving along? You know, is some of the things you were hoping to work are actually working, or you know, you know what that really didn't work. We had to tweak it big time. Yeah, that happens. <laughs> so it does, unfortunately. But I mean, that's all part of research, isn't it? It's tr- a lot of it's trial and error. That's true. And we've got to remember that we can't always have everything work every single time. Um, lot of, lots of resilience. Yes, and that's all good for us, isn't it? (laughs) So, Graciela, thank you so much for coming in the show. And like I said, I wish you the best of luck. Um, I I know you're going to put 110% behind this project and your lab is very lucky to have you in there as well. I'm very lucky to have them. (laughs) That's good. So that's it, everyone. Another week of Grad Chat sadly comes to an end. Don't forget you can download the show tomorrow from either iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify and CFR Podcasts. Just type in Grad Chat. Until next week, this is CJ the DJ signing off with a big hooray. Thank you for listening to this podcast produced at CFRC 101.9 FM at Queen's University, situated on the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee peoples and brought to you by the generous support of the Faculty of Engineering and Applied Science.